The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. My guest today is a longtime friend with whom I've had very few deep conversations over the years. But it's it's funny because we ran across each other at 930Gov this year. He was uh, on the, uh, the the marketing track. Uh, Doug Mascuri of GovLoop. Welcome, man. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. We we were talking before we uh, we started recording here, and it, it's kind of an odd coincidence. Uh, we're recording this on October eighth, twenty nineteen, um, and on October eighth, two thousand nine, I gave my first major LinkedIn presentation to the American Marketing Association down in Virginia Beach. And in the fall of 2009, about the same time I was doing that, this little thing called GovLoop launched uh, via the web through Mr. Wrestler's effort. So um, I love when shit like that happens. <laughs> Stuff <laughs> like that happens. An anniversary <laughs> party today. Um, really? Uh, so, Doug, give, give people a little background here. I mean, we've known each other forever. Yeah, so Mark, I, I joined uh, kind of the government IT market back in 1993. I was uh, working for Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, in customer service and realized I don't want to be in customer service. I had a friend working at Federal Computer Week and said, you should come check out this media company. It's pretty cool. Uh, I joined there as an ad production coordinator, a print ad production coordinator. Uh, I got to sort uh, ad films and send things to the printer and check blue lines uh, and really started to learn about government IT media there. I uh, had some great folks I worked with over there, great mentors who taught me a lot about how this market works, not just media and advertising, but government IT. Uh, you know, from there, I moved into a marketing role. Uh, from there, I moved into a business management role. And then in the late 90s, we had to join something called the Internet and have a website. And I was tasked, do you want to lead this effort? You have no budget, no people. You can beg and borrow across the company. But I think digital media is going to be kind of cool. So I jumped on it. And I really, that was the beginning of my kind of digital media journey. Uh, was at Federal Computer Week for about 14 years. Great experience. Uh, once again, just great mentors across the board to really learn a lot. Uh, from there, I started my own digital media consulting company. Uh, really wanted to help just other B2B media companies, smaller companies grow, um, whether it was growing their audience, content strategies, revenue strategies, just leveraging my experience to help them. I came across a guy named Steve Ressler. Mutual friend knew us. He just started GovLoop. We started talking, realized we wanted to work together. I uh, helped him in the beginning uh, build out a business plan for GovLoop. Was a consultant for about a year and really loved it. Loved the organization, loved the leadership, loved the community. Loved the concept. Loved everything about it. Uh, and then joined full-time and been there since. And it's been a, it's been a great run. Learned a whole lot about uh running a company and, and government IT media. Yeah, it, it's funny because you were at FCW during all of the Dorabeck years or yeah. most? Oh, yeah. I was there before and and, and, and endured. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, because it, it's funny because when Chris, we, we had a uh, 
a symbiotic relationship. Whenever he needed a, a firebrand quote, it would be me. <laughs> and <laughs> I he'd, see that. he'd call and he'd say, what do you know about this? And I'm going, nothing. He said, well, let me give you a quick scenario. <laughs> now give me a quote. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, I, I, I loved it. Um, and sometimes I actually had a clue as to what was going on. Um, but, you know, again, some, some of the issues in our market, as, as we both know, are, are really, uh, you know, they're minutiae. And, and you can't, so we, we discussed this too, you can't stay on top of everything. You can't be an no. expert on this market. You can be an expert on your niche in this market, but that's it. So, um, so GovLoop officially launches in the fall of 09. Uh, Wrestler started it when he was still a Fed. He was uh, in DHS. Yep. Um, and uh, we, we connected then on LinkedIn. And I think when he first started, it was actually in, in late 08. And he started a, a GovLoop group on LinkedIn before he took off to the Ning platform. Yeah, so the history there is um, Steve Wrestler, the founder, um, really while in government, wanted a place to connect with other government folks. You know, he'd go out to these events. Uh, he would talk to great government leaders, rising government leaders, uh, line workers. And once that event ended, that communication engagement stopped. There was no place to convene except in person. He realized quickly there's so many people in government all doing the same thing. Why are we recreating the wheel every day? Why aren't we sharing best practices, talking more, helping one another? So that was the, really the genesis of GovLoop, was to create that platform for government folks to kind of help each other. Uh, he did launch it in 08, you know, as an unofficial company. He was, right. it was his, he called it his five to nine job. He would do it after work uh, and really started with about, you know, five to 10,000 people. Um, it was, then it was he, a fast growing community on LinkedIn. Absolutely. And he saw the growth. He saw the potential. And that's when he realized there's probably a future business here. And that's kind of the genesis of becoming a, a, a real company, an official company. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny thinking back on that. He was a guest on the show uh, back in my early days on, on radio, probably 09 or maybe as late as 10. Right. Right. But uh, but I, I thought what he was doing was pretty cool. I, I was not, however, a fan of of the platform he moved to, but there wasn't much alternative at the time. Yeah, I mean, he, he, there was a lot of talk and, and thinking on his part on what's the right platform to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. Early on, you know, not a lot of budget either, so finding a platform that was good for that day and that month, maybe that year, was, was the most suitable route. Yeah, so initially... He started forming these uh, communities of, of like-minded, like-disciplined people. Yeah. So really what we were looking at is when he first founded it is, what do we want to do? You know, we want to get all these, you know, at that point, young government leaders involved in, in GovLoop and talking. And, and the content really varied, Mark. It went from uh, program managers in government to cats in government. Uh, you know, so it was a lot of hobby interests. Uh, it was a lot of technical issues and then everything in between. And, you know, when it was a smaller community, I think that worked great. Um, you know, as we grew from 10,000 members to 50,000 members to now 300,000 members, you know, our content strategy and our purpose changed over time. Uh, it became less a hobby site and more really a work resource for, for government folks. 
Um, as our usership grew, you know, we realized we had to be more structured in the content we created to be a resource for folks. Um, in the beginning, I'd say 90% of the content was community generated, which is incredible to think about. Yes. You yeah. set this platform up and people are writing for it. At 10,000 people, that's very sustainable. When you go to 50,000, not everybody wants to be a writer. People want to consume content as well. You would also have a problem of how much. Correct. And how do you <clears throat> aggregate it? How do you edit it? Uh, so really what we've grown to is a mix. We still have a lot of community-generated content for the folks that want to do that. We want to hear from our, our government community. Sure. But we also have people that want to consume content and want to come in and just read and learn um, so we really became a more of a, a, a uh, strategic content platform. Uh, we hired a full in-house uh, in content team to produce structured content. We still rely heavily on the community uh, to create content, but also to give us content ideas. Share with us, what are you challenged with? What do you, what do you need to know? What, what's, what's happening at your agency? How can we help you? And that's really how we come up with our content is based on our community feedback. Okay, cool. Well, we're going to go ahead and take our first break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I shall return with Doug right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with Doug Mashkuri. Uh, as I, as I said before, you know, Doug and I have have known each other uh, more by reputation than in person for for two and a half decades at least. Um, so, yeah, because I used to uh, be in Federal Computer Week occasionally, quite occasionally. I remember uh, that. Yeah, and, uh, um, yeah, Dorbeck was fun to play with. Um, and, you know, and, and oddly enough, I was involved in bringing FCW into the market because when IDG, the parent company, decided that they were going to launch a federal publication, I was one of the team that looked into the viability and GCN was really the only publication serving the IT market at the time, government IT market. Government executive touched on it, but not with any regularity, certainly not like they do now. Now they're everywhere. So <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very yeah. true. But, um, but so, you know, the, what you said in the first segment, Steve uh, uh, being frustrated about all of those, those stovepipes not talking to each other. Um, one of the things that got me radically involved in social networking was reading uh, the new rules of marketing and PR back in 2007, David Merman Scott's book, now in its sixth edition. <laughs> um, but, uh, but he was talking about how Web 2.0 tools were democratizing how information was shared. And Steve jumped on that concept. Yeah, he, he did. And I, I think, you know age and a fresh perspective on how information can be shared is really important. Um, when Steve and I first met, you know, I, I had many years of media experience. He had zero and he taught me so much about how media can work. And it really goes to show you, you get so used to thinking one way in one model. It's really hard to change that. And where we worked well so, for so many years together is we had very complementary knowledge and skill sets and really, uh, learn to uh, to uh, uh, appreciate that and respect that and work well together. And, you know, what he was teaching me is media is an extension of a community um, and community should be driving media. Uh, it's not a one-way discussion. It's a two-way discussion. What are your needs, Mark? How can I help you? I want to create that content that's going to help you. And 
once again, that really became that foundation for GovLoop. And, and really what we transitioned to was our mission of being the knowledge network for government. Um, we don't want to be a news organization. There's great news organizations already here. We wanted to fulfill a need of sharing information and knowledge for a community. Uh, having a community raise an issue or say, hey, I'm really stuck on cloud. Uh, well, you know, we can help you. We can create some cloud resources. We can talk firsthand to government folks to hear from them. What are their challenges? What are their challenges at their agency? Uh, we can talk to cloud vendors and say, tell us what you're doing with your government clients. Put that together in a nice content piece. That becomes a very useful resource for government. It's evergreen. It's not breaking news. Um, it's just a good resource where you have the government perspective and you have the industry perspective mm -hmm. and you can look at results. And that's kind of that knowledge network concept. Yeah. And, and as you just said, it's evergreen until whatever information is there uh, morphs. And, you know, you got yeah. Moore's Law to apply or whatever law you want to apply, but sooner or later it has to be updated. But until that time, you know, the content that you generate can be used again and again and again. Yeah, and I think you, know, you bring up a good point. It's a, it's a slide I always look at. We do a lot of surveying of our government audience, and we always ask them different topics. But we don't ask just, are you interested? It's where are you with this topic? Are you in the definition phase or the application phase? And you'll see things, I'm using my hands, which you can't see here, but things like cloud, it's not about definition. It's about application and use cases and case studies and success metrics. So these are evergreen topics. You just have to find the right phase of where government is today and produce the content where it is today. And that will evolve over time. Yeah. Am I going to see you at the federal media and marketing study? In a... You will. I will okay. be there. Yeah. Because, um, you know, Lisa's been talking about this stuff forever. Yeah. Uh, and she's uh, there's one slide that she has that I use, and it goes back to 2012, but the basic information on it hadn't changed. Down one side, you have the content tool. So white papers, case studies, webinars, right. on and on. Uh, and across the top, you have the stages of the procurement process. And it shows the percentages in the graph where each fit. Yeah. But uh, there's so much stuff out there. But and, and we were talking about this before. We have the confluence of, of two different problems. We have this ever-decreasing attention span oh, yeah. and what I call the Heisenberg effect on content. There's so much content out there that the likelihood of you getting it into somebody's read-to-be-read pile is becoming more difficult. But even if you know it's in that pile, you don't know where it is. Is it going up or going down predicated on you know where they are in that procurement process, what fires are, are immediately in front of people? Um, yeah. So the the perpetual what I like about GovLoop is that perpetual discussion aspect that brings people in on a regular basis. Yeah, there, there's definitely an engagement strategy, and I, I think if you're counting on hitting the right person at the right time with that one shot, you're going to fail. Um, you have to be engaged with them. You have to maybe hit them is not the right word. Engage with them at multiple levels <clears throat> at multiple times. Um, they can't be finding you for the first time when they're ready to make a decision. <laughs> we know that never works. And I, I think focusing on engagement and, you know, not to sound too marketing, but that, that whole kind of customer journey and reader journey, it really does matter. Um, you have to know where they are. You have to understand the types of content and the format of content they need uh, at the right time in that, in that journey. And one thing we really try to do is 
is keep our audience engaged on hot topics and, and really drive that engagement through, whether it's through a newsletter, a webinar, an event, a custom content piece, whatever that is, there has to be multiple steps in that journey. Right. Like Federal News Radio, GovLoop has become a trusted information source. However, like Federal News Radio, there's so much content there that your ability to put it in front of the right audience uh, at the right time is is probably as big an issue as any. Absolutely. And, and I think this is where um, database and data and marketing automation play a role. If you can understand behaviorally where your audience is, um, you have a better chance of delivering the right content at the right time. And it doesn't mean, you know, we have a community of 300,000. They're not seeing everything we do. We are looking at where they're engaging, what topics they've engaged with, not what they said they want to do, but what they're actually engaging with, and creating smaller lists and using that to push content to these smaller lists based on the content they're consuming. And I think that is something that really allows good engagement, responsible engagement, and, and really drives the value of what they're interacting with uh, content-wise. Yeah. And too often we've seen organizations, you know, either, you know, vendors or even some media just push so much content out to everybody that it becomes white noise. Yeah, and, and, and it's hard. And, and there's a lot of pressure to do that. Um, and that's where, you know, you really have to take a step back and realize the greatest asset we have is not a product. It's, it's our community. Um, it's our community of government users. If we can get them what they need when they want it, they're going to keep coming back. If we hitch our trail and say we're an event company or a webinar company or whatever it is, mm -hmm. it's not about the product. It's about the user. And um, if you can understand where they're going, that's how you're going to succeed in delivering the content the way they want it, not the way we've always done it. Yeah. 300,000 members currently. What what percentage of those are feds? 60% fed. Okay. Uh, about 35% uh, state local. Mm -hmm. um, and then honestly, you know, that's the overall demographic. Based on the content and the content piece, uh, you know, we'll see different um, um, variations of that, that, that distribution. Uh, we do straight state local piece. We do straight federal. But most of what we really try to do is fed state and local because I think there's a, a value in that cross-collaboration sure. between fed state and local. Yeah, we, we, we saw that in a number of CIO organizations yep. through, through the late 90s and 2000s, the collaboration between uh, particularly the technology communities because there are so many uh, shared issues. Right. And we see, you know, grant money going to state and locals predicated on those shared, you know, experiences and, and, you know, like DOJ has their programs and they fund things that, you know, they know they understand and that are needed by the other governments in our country, all 88,000 of them. <laughs> just uh, a few. Just a few. Uh, let's take a break now, and we're going to come back and uh, continue this discussion. I'm here with Doug Mashkuri of GovLoop, govloop.com, and uh, you're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Doug and I shall return right after this. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. 
for news on the federal pay raise. To learn how other agencies handle IT modernization. To see how Congress funds my agency. For changes to my TRICARE benefits. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Uh, I'm here with Doug Mashkuri, who is the vice president and GM at GovLoop. You can find him at govloop.com. You can find Doug on uh, LinkedIn as well. Uh, so you belong to two social networks. Although, I do. Although your platform right now technically isn't a social network, but it, it kind of is. Yeah, um, I mean, that's a good description. <laughs> <laughs> nice and clear for us. Hey, well, you know, it's a, let's let's call it a Web 2.0 merging into a Web 3.0 kind of play. I love it. I um, love it. So, so we'll talk about that Web 3.0 stuff another day. But, you know, GovLoop started with uh, um, a non-banner approach, you know, no banner ads across the home page. And, you know, I've always found those particularly annoying because, you know, if I'm going to a media site, it pops up in the middle of the damn article I'm trying to read and I have to, you know, wait until I can find the X to get it off the screen. So... <laughs> Where, where is that? It Those keeps moving. Sometimes. Well, it, it, it might be me, but I swear it's moving too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so why that direction? Yeah, no, great, great question. And uh, when Steve Ressler and I were trying to figure out the best business plan for GovLoop, you know, my advice was let's avoid banner advertising. Um, not that it, it, it can be financially rewarding, but it puts the emphasis on just driving straight up traffic. Um, as a newer site, we knew we had deep engagement and engaged users, but we had 10,000 members at that point. So to come up with a banner model to, to generate revenue wasn't going to be worth our time. What I thought was valuable to our government community, once again, the asset of the company is the government community, is really contextual-based marketing and advertising, case study-type format, uh, custom content, editorial content, um, things that you could really allow your government community to engage with, do a deeper dive into, and you weren't worried about that banner click. Because let's face it, you know, if you get a 0.25 click, that's good rate. You've still missed 99.75% of the audience from clicking. Um, it's a model that you can really get stuck on and you start focusing on just getting who, as much traffic to your site as possible. But are they engaged? Are they one-time clicks? Um, we decided to go the route of really contextual action engagement based type marketing. Um, and I'm really happy we went that route. Um, it, it kept the site clean. Um, I think it for government users, it, it really gave them an opportunity to really dive into content to learn more. Well, it's an involvement factor that you don't see many, if any other places. Right. I mean, if they're reading the content, they've chose to engage with that content. So that is a very good metric right up front to begin with. Right. And um, it wouldn't be one of those things where you know, you get to comment at the bottom of the blog and, you know, maybe one-tenth of one one-hundredth of the <laughs> audience actually reads that far. Exactly. Uh, oh, a comment. No, I won't. Um <laughs> So are there any vendors, any contractors that are members of GovLoop? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. So you, you, you went through, you know, this percentage of feds, this mm -hmm. percentage of state and local. Didn't sound like there was a lot left over. Oh, there is. We have a, a very healthy uh, vendor involvement on GovLoop, both as members and also as, as marketing partners. Right. And let's start with the membership part first. So early on, anyone could join GovLoop. You had to register. 
but you couldn't register as a company name. You could be with a company, but you had to register as Mark Amtower. Um, Which I did. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but that was important to us. We didn't want a member going by a company name. That, that wasn't the mission. Um, if you wanted to kind of lead with company first, you would then become a marketing partner and we'd create programs. However, if you wanted to be a upstanding member of the community, whether you're government or vendor community, it didn't matter as long as you created good content. And what we would do is we do view all content before it goes public, not for censorship, just to make sure it's, it's, it's good, germane. it's compelling, yeah. uh, and it's going to be engaging. And I will tell you, our vendor community is great. There's a lot of great thought leaders that participate on GovLoop for free. And we're fine with that. We want good content. Um, and if you can come across as that thought leader, we encourage it. And we'll also give you tips on, on how to do it. So as government employees, do they feel any restrictions on what they can say predicated on their position in government? Um, I mean, because, you know, when I try to get govies on my show, I've got to jump through so many hoops and they have to jump through so many hoops to get on. And it's not just because it's me. Yeah. Uh, although that may be a factor. Um, does anybody ever mention any issues sharing their opinions? Um, not, not really. Um, you know, we're not a gotcha site. We're not looking for that killer quote to either praise or bury someone. Mm -hmm. It's sharing, it's sharing best practices. It's sharing what you've learned and what you know. The beauty, what I like about GovLoop is you're, you're not anonymous. You can't be a troll. Uh, your name is attached to any comment you're going to make. Your name is attached to the blog post you create. Um, and what we really see is really good, responsible participation in the community. Um, and I think that's due to there's an identifier on you. You can't be anonymous. Um, I love that. Yeah, and it works. And, you know, yeah, do we sometimes have problems getting people to participate? Absolutely. Sometimes public affairs doesn't want them speaking on something. Um I would say in the beginning of GovLoop, um, it was a bigger deal because no one knew who we were. Um, so they didn't know what the platform was. As we've built credibility over the years, we really haven't had that problem of, of government folks participating. Sometimes okay. it takes a little longer to get approval, yeah. but you know that, that that's, the, that's the life yeah. we chose. I'm going to shift gears here because when, when we spoke together at 930Gov, when I saw what you were speaking on, I was wondering to myself, you know, how is this germane to our market? So what you spoke about was the European GDPR laws and the new law from California mm -hmm. along the same lines. And I know that managing your data is a, a huge factor in what you do and telling your members that this is what we use it for, this is all we use it for, there's no secret backdoor Cambridge Analytica crap right. coming into play. Outline that GDPR thing again, because I think a lot of people don't quite grasp where it goes. Yeah, so I'll, I'll do the quick two-minute version. GDPR and then upcoming uh, CCPA, which is the California Consumer Protection Act, this is all about data privacy and protecting consumer data. Um, and it's giving the power back to the consumer or the end user. So GDPR, UK-based, uh, about 18 months in, um, carries heavy fines if you misuse consumer data. And there's a couple key tenets to it. One is you always have to be able to report back to how you're using their data. So Mark, if you're in the UK and they have your data, you can at any point ask how are you using it. 
You can ask them to remove you uh, from databases. Um, you can ask how it's being stored and for how long. These are all tenants that all these companies have to be compliant. And I think the important piece for GDPR is it's not just for UK companies. It is actually if you have a UK user. And so GovLoop, for example, we have UK users, so we have to be GDPR compliant. Um, the key to this is not just the reporting piece, like with Mark, you have a request. It's the documentation. At any point, you have to prove that you have this process documented. If you don't, there are very steep fines. Uh, some companies have been, been already fined a, a lot. Some of these bigger companies might be rounding error, but they're very serious about it. I give that background because then in January 1st is the California Consumer Protection Act, which is now coming uh, January 2020. Once again, very similar in some ways to GDPR. It's about protecting user data. Um, you don't have to be a California-based company. If you have um, 50,000 um, uh, users uh, in California, you have to be compliant. Same thing. You have to protect their data. You have to be able to let them opt out. You have to make sure that you're storing their data just for the right amount of time for your purpose. You have to be able to clearly state that. You have to be upfront with how you're using their data. Um, so there's a lot of... Uh, it's not an IT problem anymore. There's a lot of moving pieces to this, and there's a lot of legal components to it. And really, to me, to me, this is what's coming next. If it's starting in California, it's coming east. And I think anyone that has data has to be aware of these regulations and what it means for us as, as media companies or data holders or companies. Yeah, one of the things that you said back in 930, Gov, though, really shocked the heck out of me until I thought about it. Uh, and I may have the number wrong, but you said that that more often than not, uh, there's there's about five thousand data points on each individual available to companies looking for this stuff. Five thousand data points. Yeah, it was uh, it was an article I read. It was Cambridge Analytica said they have five thousand data points on every U.S. voter. Do you even think you have five thousand data points? That's what's scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's I mean. a lot of information out there. And think of the good or bad that that can cause. And I think this is what's driving think, a lot think of these. Think of the blackmail that could occur. <laughs> this is what's driving these regulations. And, and honestly, I'm for it. Like, that's scary. That is utterly frightening. And, and it should get the, you know, the attention of, of just about anybody. But, you know, before the Cambridge Analytica thing, was G GDPR was already in the works, right? Yes. So this this was like the giant wart that pointed out the need for. Yeah. And I, and I think it, it, the lessons learned 18 months later is there was lots of warning that this was coming, similar to CCPA. Um, some companies took it seriously and really prepared. Others thought it was an out-of-the-box solution. And, you know, really to me – it's not about thinking, well, it's just for my UK users, so I'll put it to the side. You should apply these best practices to your entire data practice yep. because it's common. Um, you need to get your legal folks involved. Obviously, you need IT involved. But you also need all new business practices. Think about data coming into your CRM. That all has to be compliant. You have to be able to have that data documented the ability to pull it out if requested, and the ability to kind of record those transactions to show that you're compliant. It's a very big process overhaul for any company that's storing data. 
And I think that's the the level of discipline these these regulations are looking for is build it as part of your infrastructure. It's not an IT problem. It's not a marketing problem. It's a company thing to tackle. And I just think it's going to get bigger and bigger um, in the next two to, two to five years. I think you're right. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Doug and I shall wrap up right after this. Hi, this is Sean Kelly, host of CyberChat. As a former federal CIO and CISO, I can tell you the threat landscape is a dynamic and evolving matter. My conversations with federal leaders from across the government focus on the latest trends and hottest cyber topics and challenges. Join me for a high-level conversation about how agencies maintain mission security. Tune in Friday mornings at 1030 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, or subscribe on iTunes and Podcast One. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with Doug Mashkuri, the Vice President and General Manager of GovLoop, uh, GovLoop.com. As I, as I said before, Doug and I have, have known each other largely by reputation for 25 years. We've interacted a couple of times over that, but several times in the last couple of months. And, and I plan on keeping this going because I learn a lot from people like Doug, and I'll probably be writing about part of that really soon. So I look at GovLoop as much as a marketing platform as I do a community, because when you have a really good and vibrant community, I'm I'm like a developer, right? Let's cut down those trees and plant some marketing. Uh, (laughs) I don't want to cut down the community, though. So we were talking about lead gen a little bit in, in, like with the GDPR thing. So uh, for any company, how do you, how do you approach this? How do you work with companies? Yeah, great question. So we obviously work a lot with the marketing community and the vendor community. Um, that is our business model. Uh, we try to keep all resources on GovLoop free to government. And to do that, we go with a sponsorship model. Uh, in the last segment, we talked how we're not doing banner advertising. It really is contextual. So all of our programs are really designed in to be, I would say, I would say it's the case study model. Mm-hmm. Define a topic define challenges, talk about solutions. So we'll do that, whether it's a webinar, a custom case study, a guide. We find the hot topic. We talk about what's happening with that topic in the government space. We interview our government community to learn about their challenges and opportunities they see around that topic. And then we work with our marketing partners to talk specifically how they're helping agencies solve some of those challenges around that topic. Um, so it's really a mix. Uh, it's lead gen, it's thought leadership, it's awareness. Uh, but we're really at the end of the day, what we want to do, and we talk to our marketing partners about this, is let's educate first, sell second. You know, hey, we all have to sell. I sell, Mark, you sell, everyone has to sell. But really, let's, let's start with the education piece. Let's build the trust. Let's build the information sharing and the awareness of what these vendors are doing in our government community. Um, and let that start the engagement path to, to eventually selling. Um, it's a model I really like. Uh, it's a model that, you know, where I love our government marketers is they get it. We, we know how we have to tell a story first. So it's really working with them to kind of tell the right story uh, to the community. Our job is to educate our marketing partners about our community and how they like to engage and what they're looking for um, and really help the marketer succeed on GovLoop by doing that. Okay. So you're, you're, you, you tie in this metric thingy. Yeah. (laughs) Metrics, metrics, metrics. Um, We decided early at GovLoop, like, let's measure everything we do. And not just 
advertising and marketing, everything. Let's look at our users. What content are they engaging with? How they're engaging with this? Uh, what actions have they taken? And then we get into the marketing programs. It's not just saying, you know, here's your 250 leads or registrations or I got this many views. It's, it's looking at it more contextually that, hey, we noticed of those 250 registrations, there's a strong presence from the VA. These VA folks also engage with these types of content. Our next campaign should really be focused on that. We try to show the engagement uh, level with the government community and with our marketing pieces. The idea is at the end of a campaign, what we want to show our, our, our government marketing marketers is that not only here are the results, but we do what we call an engagement index. We'll look at the five things they did with us and say, hey, of the 750 gross people we sent over to you, 100 took six actions against content. 200 took three actions. By knowing that, that should help our marketing partner figure out their lead follow-up strategy. We probably don't want to call everybody, but why aren't we calling the most engaged people? So if we can give that context up front in our metrics report, by the time it gets into the, our, our marketing partner's CRM, they have much more context around that data, and it's not just a single data point. There's a story behind that data point. Yeah, and, and you know the percentages don't matter so much as the quality. Correct, and that's why we want to show engagement, and that's why I think when you look at just a top-line number, that's not the best number to look at. You want to look at those folks that are engaged, they take one action, they might just want to learn around the topic. They might not have any interest. They might just be browsing. But if they took three or more actions, there's intent and there's a lot of engagement there. That's that's the sweet spot. That's who you want to focus on. Nurture the other folks. Okay. So, you know, when when you when you, Steve, the team built the platform, you know, advertently or inadvertently, you built it on an inbound strategy. Yes. So was it conscious? It probably was on your part. Was it on Steve's or did you? No, I mean, once again, this is where I think, you know, Steve and I worked together well from day one. We had very complimentary skill sets. Um, I relied on his government experience and just overall intelligence, and he relied on my B2B media experience yeah. um, to figure out what model might work. Um, but the one thing I knew from day one is that metrics matter. Um, we have to help the marketing community justify their investment with us. Um, another question we like to ask is what metrics matter to the marketing partner? We need to know that because we can say, hey, can we measure that? If we can, great, and we will. If we can't, we want to do a deeper dive up front so expectations are very clear on both sides. Okay. So um, you've actually reformatted a lot of, of lead gen strategies not simply to adapt to your platform, but more importantly, adapt to what you see personally as the evolving Web 2.0, mediascape for, for lack of a more precise term. Yeah. So I, I think, you know. Infoscape. Inf nice. We should trademark that. I'm, I'm going to write it down right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the T-shirt now. Um, I, I think, you know, in my perfect world, um, I, I see lead gen, thought leadership, and awareness as levers. And I think if we really want to drive the best results for a marketing partner, we have to really work those levers. Um, yes, lead gen pays the bills and shows the value. But if you have more awareness and can show that thought leadership, uh, in ways that you potentially can't measure through registrations, that's going to drive future registrations. And it's really understanding our marketing 
uh, partners' needs, mm-hmm. understanding the thought leadership and the value proposition they bring, and then us working with them to develop a campaign that really plays in those levers. Um, you and I talked earlier, it's not that one hit when they're ready to buy something. It's that body of work leading up to that. And if we can kind of participate in that that whole journey, um, we're going to be more successful <coughs> for our partners. And right. And, and you, you have to be successful during the whole journey because, as you pointed out earlier, you can't have that one piece that pops up when the moment of decision is occurring. Right. Um, because they don't know who the heck you are. You haven't been part of the process. You're not part of that trusted advisor network. Um, and you have to, you know, if you're going to influence that process, the, the thought leadership aspect is palpable. Correct. And I, and I think, you know, it makes sense. And I, I think the more products and platform we can create to highlight thought leadership uh, is important and awareness. And I, and I think that's something we constantly revisit. How can we help tell the story that helps our vendor, that helps our government community, and what's the right format for it. And that could change weekly, quarterly, and it's important that we stay close to the community and understand how they want to learn more. Okay, cool. We're running short here, so give me some final thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think a couple things. One, in terms of kind of marketing tactics and what's happening, it's going to be really important with a lot of this data privacy coming down that we rethink marketing in general. And it's not just a marketer's job, it's we as an industry have to look at that. Um, it's how we measure leads, how we respond to leads, how we store leads. The more uh, we can really partner up to help our marketing partners uh, develop that strategy and knowing when the right time to turn that lead over will be important in the next two to five years. You know, It might be a situation where we have to nurture them further before we hand them over to stay compliant for everybody involved. So I just think constantly rethinking marketing and how we work with media and, and our marketing partners is important. Uh, I think the second thing is we're in a great market. We're in a great industry. Government's doing great things. It's the coolest market in the world, man. It really is. And they're doing really cool, important work. And I just think it's important that we always take that step back to celebrate the public sector workers that are out there on the front lines every day. And, you know, that's something we at GovLoop really try to do. We do these fun food trucks for thanks where we give them free lunches within the within the requirements. Right. Uh, yeah. Just find yeah. ways to celebrate our community because at the end of the day, I said earlier, that's our asset. That's who we're serving. Same thing with the vendor community. We all want what's best for this community, and we're finding ways to do it. There you go, man. Doug, a pleasure. We'll have to get together again really soon. Thank you, Mark. It was a lot of fun. This is not my day job. I advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government, including a few things that Doug and I have talked about here today, leveraging social media, building that subject matter expert platform, developing content and getting it into the infoscape scene as as effectively as possible not just as quickly as possible, but as effectively as possible. If any of this resonates, drop me a line at markamtower at gmail.com. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.